Welcome to The Art of Intimate Marriage with Dr. Jennifer Conzin. Sensitive yet frank advice for enjoying every benefit of one of God's most fundamental gifts. Dr. Conzin is a licensed marriage and family counselor, sex therapist, as well as an adjunct professor, award-winning researcher, author, and speaker. With today's conversation on the biblical approach to fulfilling intimacy in marriage, here's Jennifer. Good morning. This is Dr. Jennifer Conzin with The Art of Intimate Marriage. And we spent our previous broadcast going over some questions that single and campus and students and teens have asked at different workshops that I've spoken at and that we've done. And so we want to continue that. However, let me emphasize, a lot of the questions that singles ask are questions that married couples ask. So although this is the art of intimate marriage and we are going to be addressing sexuality for those who aren't married, these questions do apply for married couples quite often. And so you can feel free to go back if you missed part one. You can go back. We're going to be spending quite a few episodes now answering people's questions that have been coming to us. So part one was last time. You can go on my website, The Art of Intimate Marriage, and listen to that. This is part two, and we're probably going to have a three, four, and so on. So let's begin with some of the questions that people ask us. And if this brings up questions for you as I'm answering them, you feel free to send them my way at jenniferconson at yahoo.com, or you can go on the website, The Art of Intimate Marriage, and you can find a place there to send me questions. So this is from someone that came to a workshop. They said, if someone was sexually active before becoming a Christian, and I love this, if someone, <laughs> you know, if my friend was sexually active <laughs> before becoming a Christian, the reality is that can be true for many, but no longer experiences any urge for sex since then. Is that normal? Is it normal that now that I'm older, I don't struggle with the temptation to masturbate? And will this affect my future if I get married? This is actually a combination of, of two questions that I've, I'm putting together here. So this comes up when folks have either had a sexual past or even when they haven't, and they've been doing some really strong, making sure they're staying pure, They've been making some strong choices to remain pure, and so they push their mind away from sexual thoughts. They are not looking at pornography. They're not masturbating. When they have sexual thoughts, they've been open with it, and they turn their mind somewhere else. They're in different support programs that support purity, and they're fighting to keep their thoughts away from lust. And so it, and this is, this, this comes up even with married individuals where they're, if they have a background with pornography and with pornography and masturbation, and they're trying to keep their thoughts from going places they don't want to go, they often have this question of then when I can engage sexually, will it work? And that's a valid question to ask. I have individuals that I've worked with, with, they did get married and things went well. And then all of the stuff they'd been kind of shoving down through the years in order to stay pure, all the challenges with masturbation, pornography, and lustful thoughts all come charging back in, usually not right after they get married, but sometime after sometime within about a year or two is common, at least in my clinical experience. Or individuals do get married and they're like, I can't turn the switch on. It's not turning on. I, I've turned it off all these years. And, and people just kept saying, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. You're going to get married. And then we went on our honeymoon and I couldn't switch it on. I couldn't enjoy myself. I couldn't relax. I couldn't come to erection or I've 
I ejaculated prematurely and I can't keep the interest there, all kinds of issues, right? So people ask this, like, well, what about when I do start to, uh, uh, now I can engage and will it work? So yes, there are some that um, have definitely shared those challenges. So the reality is sexual interest does ebb and flow and it does in marriage as well. It does for people when they're single, and it does for people when they're married. And those, for some people, they feel those urges every day and some not at all. So this is true for people before marriage. Sometimes people don't think a lot of sexual thoughts. Um, and then they're worried, will they when they get married? Or they've clamped down on those thoughts and they worry, will they come back? And then when people are married, they're like, well, surely I'll be thinking lots of sexual thoughts. Or I'll, have, I'll have a normal sexual drive. And yet sometimes that's not the case. Some people still have low desire um, when they're married. And we do have a, a an actual diagnosis for that. Female sexual interest arousal disorder, FSIAD, and male hypoactive sexual desire disorder, MHSTD, are out there in there in the DSM and they have nice long names and they're they're basically low desire and it is a diagnostic label. Well, is it actually a disorder and a dysfunction or Perhaps some people just have lower desire for different reasons. And so understanding that levels of desire change over time and some people have higher desire than others and that's not necessarily a negative thing can can be helpful just in answering that question. People have all kinds of different feelings. Normal is a super challenging word. What's normal? And so the people that asked this question both used the word normal and Normal may not be helpful because what is normal? Well, you know, you may be normal and that may mean that you just have lower desire. You may be normal and yours is higher and it the switch turns back on when you're married. However, if you have any kind of a background where sex has been violating or unfulfilling or not enjoyable or there's been any kind of molestation or rape or any kind of violation then it can definitely affect the level of interest in returning to sex later. And so if you have any kind of a background with that, you may have a lower sexual interest even when you're in a marital relationship. However, one of the biggest pieces that affects desire levels is busy lives. And so sometimes when people get married and they, they have a lot of interest initially and then they get into life and jobs and have kids and raise kids, that can affect things. So again, the interest in sex does ebb and flow. When However, people do lead Lizzie, busy, sorry, busy, productive lives, and they're doing things that are fulfilling and meaningful. Then before they're married, they actually don't miss sex a lot. And it doesn't mean that they don't have desire. It just means that they, they were channeling that desire into other places. And then when they do get married, their desire is fully there. So it's a good question. You know, when, it, when I do get married, will it come back? And um, in the future, will I enjoy it? Mostly I tell people, well, when you do get married, if you continue to have concerns, make sure to talk about it openly, talk with others. That's super helpful. Okay, let's go on to another question. I started doing pornography as a 14-year-old and then had early experiences of sex. How do I correct the thoughts that still go through my head? I want to encourage anybody with those kinds of questions, go through, go back and listen to our previous broadcasts on masturbation and pornography, because yes, 
patterns of sexual arousal when someone is young as a young teenager and they've already been establishing patterns of sexual arousal and behaviors to orgasm they do affect later experiences your hand your body will get used to your hand bringing you to orgasm you'll get used to using certain pictures in your mind that create arousal and so yes it can take time in a marriage to learn new patterns of arousal, to have the kind of pictures you want to have. I do tell married couples, keep your eyes open when you're having sex. Keep that recording with in, in your own eyes so that you can play it back at other times during your day and, and remember the enjoyable moments between you and your spouse so that you, I mean, goodness, people are inundated with with uh, pictures now on billboards and as you're just trying to answer your email, they're flashing on your screen. And so we're inundated with sexual things. And so how to remain to keep the mind away from lust and those kinds of thoughts can be very challenging. And so when you're married, it is important to replace the images happening in the world with wonderful images of sex with your partner. Now, when it comes to can you correct and rewire when you have early experiences and are you still having flashes, one of the biggest things I tell people is you got to have a good plan. Um, You got to, you know, yes, correct the thoughts that go through your head, but that can be a really uphill climb, especially when pornography is in someone's background. And sometimes it takes being super radical, really making consistent decisions to get the mind and to change those patterns of arousal and to to change the flashes that come through the mind. Because pornography does, it is sight-oriented, and then when you add masturbation to it, now it's made it physical-oriented and an definitely emotion comes into play. And so memories can track pretty deeply in the brain. And so it's really, really important to have an action plan. We're actually in the future going to be doing a whole um, recording here, a whole show on that action plan. You can uh, anticipate that. You can actually go read about it in our book, both Redeemed Sexuality and The Art of Intimate Marriage. It's vital to have a good action plan. So make one. And in that plan, make sure you have specific things that you're going to do when you're pulled to thinking those thoughts, when the flashes go through your mind. Make sure you have somebody that holds you accountable. Get radical about replacing thoughts with other things and other actions. Have a good plan. And it is important that as you're dealing with it and as you're having different arousal feelings, accept the feeling and then bring in your beliefs. We've talked about that in the past. God is the creator of your body. You are going to have sexual feelings and sensations. Ask him for help. He's the one who made you. Ask him for help with rerouting your thoughts and your brain and so on. He can. He can reroute. He can do his part (laughs) since he is your creator. So, Another individual asked this, and it goes right along the lines of what someone uh, asked the previous question is, how do I deal with temptations to masturbate that I can't escape? I've already answered that pretty much, but bottom line, I just want to pay attention to one word here, that I cannot escape. You know, the honest... It's, it's honest of someone to ask this. Um, however, I want to remind you of a scripture in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, such a helpful scripture. No temptation has overtaken you except what's common to man. <laughs> That's just helpful right there. It's common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out 
so that you can endure it. So let's be honest, most of the time when people say that they don't have a way out, usually it's because they haven't worked hard enough to have a good, to set up a good escape plan. God has an escape plan. How have you been doing and figuring out what it is and setting it up and having someone help you? You need to get someone to help you. You can escape. Scripture says that you can. And, you know, it's important. Remember that most of the time, sexual temptation, it's like a wave. And, you know, we need to ride the wave. We can ride the feeling, not do anything about it. When the pull is there, ride the sensation, put your plan into action. And usually the wave subsides, it, it lowers, and you can talk about it. So have a plan, ride the wave. You just need to make sure that you've got an effective escape plan and that you've got somebody you're talking to. So you can escape. Put it together. Talk about it ahead of time. Get somebody to help you. Now, another individual asked, is it wrong that I stop myself from falling into temptation by saying to myself that if I do it, something bad will happen to me? So this is, you know, scaring yourself into not following that temptation. This is if I think awful things could happen, then it'll stop me. You know, uh, actually, in the history of sexual treatment, that's literally what would happen. They told people that masturbation created blindness. And we joke about it now. Yeah, it's not going to make me blind. No, literally. Doctors and theologians and ministers and so on told people that it would cause blindness, that it would cause women that um, were sexually active um, and not married, that they would go crazy and, you know, become insane. So believe me, this question isn't an, an, a new one, is if I use scare tactics, will it stop me from doing things that I don't want to do sexually? So motivation is a huge part of how we deal with sin, including sexual sin. Fear is definitely a motivator. Um, you know, I personally don't ever want to go to hell, so I you know, it does make help me be obedient to the scriptures, but I don't want to keep hell as my motivation. I actually would rather the grace of God and the love of God to compel me. So fear is not unbiblical as a motivation. However, it probably won't last super long. Uh, happiness and grace and joy, the blood of Jesus, his care for us are usually better motivators. You know, there are there are bad consequences to sexual sin, and we do need to know the consequences to sin. God lays them out very clearly. He tells us, choose life in Deuteronomy. He says, you know, if you're going to choose life, these are all the blessings I'm going to give you. But if you, if you decide to not obey me, then you are choosing death, and here are all the curses. So God clearly says, he lays out the benefits of obedience, and he lays out what the uh, consequences are. So it's not bad to notice what a consequence is, but negative consequences as a motivation will only last so long. You can learn them. Look up the Bible. It makes it very clear what the bad consequences are for sexual sin. But psyching yourself out with the possibility that something bad can happen, eventually it's just not going to, it's just not going to work. So, the reality is, it also depends on what your definition of bad is, because, well, masturbating to sin or looking at pornography 
um, masturbating to orgasm and looking at pornography. You know, there are consequences, but what your definition of bad is might be def- might be different than the next person's. And so bad might be a guilty conscience, but bad might also be that someone catches you or that it causes you to not be able to reach orgasm without masturbating when you're in a marital relationship. So what is a bad consequence can be quite different per person. You know, yes, one of the consequences of masturbation is that you then are wiring your brain for many people that the way that they can reach orgasm is by they know the pressure that needs to happen with their own hand. So, you know, a lightning bolt might not come down when you masturbate, but there might be some consequences. So, Knowing those can be helpful, but it may be important to really look at that when you're honoring God with your body, meaning you're staying away from sexual sin and therefore you're honoring God with your body, that that may be a better motivator to that to flee sexual morality, to live a life of love and to show people the wonder of who God is by saying no to sin might work a bit better. I love Titus where he says, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So grace may be, my guess, would be a better motivator than fear. So consider that. It says that God's kindness leads us to repentance in Romans. I think we need to pay attention to that kindness. Before we go on with some of the questions, I just want to emphasize This radio show is recorded. The podcast version of it is on my website, The Art of Intimate Marriage. You can go back and listen to previous episodes. You can also buy our book, Redeemed Sexuality, where a lot of these questions are answered in detail. And you can go buy our book, The Art of Intimate Marriage, if you're married. And then you can also go on the website. We are going to be having some... Uh, question and answer forums in there, uh, answering other people's questions from workshops that we go to. You can find that there on our website. You'll find a link to all kinds of recordings and videos. Go ahead and look. The Art of Intimate Marriage. You can buy the books on Amazon as well. Also on there, this is a listener-supported ministry. You can find the link there to support our ministry if you feel like it's helpful to you and you want it to continue and to spread to others. Go ahead and do that. We would highly appreciate it. Okay, so what else? What other questions? That's what we're doing today. We're answering questions that people ask. A lot of these come from single individuals, campus and teens. But let me tell you, I get almost the exact same ones from married individuals as well. So let's look at some of those. One individual asked, once pornography is in your mind, how do you get rid of it? You'll notice singles and campus students ask a lot about masturbation pornography. Why? Because they're trying. They're trying to remain pure, right? Let me tell you, some married folks need to be asking these questions a bit more because they're very challenged by it. So this individual who is single asks, what pornography is in your mind? How do you get rid of it? How do I overcome seeing sexual images or even seeing images of people's private parts? So definitely, yes. The challenge with pornography is that there are pictures, there are images, and it's hard to get rid of them. They're everywhere. And especially if you've looked at them a lot and you've looked on the internet, people can look at a ton. You know, 50 years ago, it was just magazines and you'd have a few pictures in your mind. Now you've, you can possibly have thousands and those images can flood you. And then when you experience something and when that memory just flashes back and you and it stays in your brain and you don't want it to have in your brain and it's super cons- persistent, what do you do with it? Well, you know, most of the time, it's not just an, a decision of I'm just not going to look anymore. But you can, it really is important 
to really look at the scriptures. I love where it's in Job where he says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. So in some cases, the reason why those pictures are still flashing is because you haven't made that covenant with your eyes. An author I just love, Guy Hammond, wrote a book called Tempt Away, and he talks about some very practical steps. I really recommend, go buy it. He approaches what to do with those lightning pictures and thoughts in a really honest and funny way. He's a super funny guy anyway, super real. Basically, the thoughts are going to come And yes, with persistent prayer and openness, they do come less over time. But let me emphasize those last two words. You got to pray about it and you got to be open. You've got to talk to people about it. And for myself, before I was a Christian, I used to, yeah, I definitely cussed. My parents cussed, I cussed. But the word that was so hard for me to overcome was saying, oh God. And I would say that all the time. I became a Christian. I'm like, I'm not supposed to say God's name in vain. And it just... It was so hard. So really, when you're in a pattern of something, right, in your background where you've done certain things over and over, and then you become a Christian, it's like, how do I stop that? Well, a lot of it is be open. Overcoming automatic responses takes a bit of time. And God, you know what? He's a God of miracles. He can help you. But make sure, I said this earlier, make sure you have a plan. There's an author of a book called Prodigal Pursued. Michelle Smith is the author, and she shares about how one ancient author said, turn the mind to some spiritual or at least indifferent object. It's useful to combat other bad thoughts face to face, but not thoughts of impurity. So actually, this, this very ancient author says, when it comes to sexual thoughts, You know, you may want, you know, yes, the goal is to think a spiritual thought in its place. But the reality is sometimes you need what you would call an indifferent object, an indifferent thought, meaning. And so what this author, Michelle Smith, what she says is, I'm going to read you her response. She said, I started turning my thoughts to something else entirely. And she said, this is a skill like serving a volleyball or bouncing a tray. And it takes practice. In the beginning, all I could do was literally move my eyes to an inanimate object and start mentally describing. The vase is slender, blue, glass, the flower is yellow. And as I continued to practice, I could eventually fall, call forth scripture or envision the cross. I learned not to linger, not to try to get a little enjoyment out of the image or thought before turning my attention, but to do so immediately. So what she would do is she would immediately take her thought, and this is very similar to Guy Hammond's work in Tempt Away, immediately take your thought to some inanimate thing or some complete, this is what you call in the field of psychology, distraction. It's actually a technique that therapists teach to help people when they have negative thoughts. Distraction is useful. Now, after you distract yourself, you can go to the spiritual thought. So you may need to start practicing that simple thing of think about something else. Think about the blue vase. Think about the flower. Think about the picture frame in your room or something that you're passing by and practice it over and over. It does take practice to change our thoughts, to to really overcome the flashes that go through the mind. All right. I had another individual ask, how do I talk to my parents about sex? And ah, when I saw this question, I just thought, good for you. Usually we have parents saying, how do I talk to my kids about sex? But let me tell you, parents, (laughs) 
Your kids are also kind of wondering how to talk to you about things. They, I cannot tell you the number of time I, times I have adults in my office that were like, I wish my parent had made me feel like I could talk about sex. I wish I had known that they had struggles too, because then I might have felt like I could come talk to them. Parents, talk to your kids. I had one individual, and, and they're actually quoted in our book, um, The Ransom Journey, that said they had you know made decisions about being pure, but they had gotten away from that, and they ended up in an impure relationship while uh, as a college student. And, and then in trying to deal with their choices, they went back and talked to their parents and found out that one of their parents, while as a married individual, been in an affair. And this young college student told their parent, I, I wish you'd told me that. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think it would have made me feel like I could have come to you. Parents. There's a time and a place at a certain age where you need to have open conversations. You don't have to share all the details, but tell your children your struggles. Tell them how you've overcome your struggles. And maybe you're not overcoming your struggles and you need to overcome them so that you can have a great talk with your kids. But let me tell you, these single and campus and teen individuals are wondering how to talk to their parents. And so most parents, let me tell you, <laughs> For those of you who are single listening to this, they're uncomfortable talking about sex. Most parents don't want to have the conversation. Their parents didn't do it very well. The problem your parents probably have is that they have hangups too <laughs> regarding sexuality. They have their own shame in regards to sexuality, so it's hard for them. And they don't want you to engage in sexuality usually. And so they think, oh, no, if I talk to them about sex, that'll make them want it. So they have their own stuff. Right. So it might help you to know that that's not true of all parents, but it is true of some. Now, it's also true that, you know, doctors, they're actually trained to they're supposed to ask sexual questions and they don't. They're actually trained to and they rarely do. So it's not just parents. It's kind of like everybody. <laughs> Adults have a hard time talking about sexuality. So therapists are trained to ask sexual questions. And you know what? The majority don't. So remember that, that even adults sometimes who have been specifically trained to ask about sexuality have discomfort with it. They're uncomfortable too. I tell you, go buy the book, Redeemed Sexuality, and go to your parents and say, can we read this together? And you might find that it becomes, just by reading and talking, you might find there's ways to start talking about sexuality. If your parent isn't willing to, go ahead and look up some things on our website, The Art of Intimate Marriage. You can send us questions. We'd be happy to talk to you, even if you've got a parent that's uncomfortable too. Send them our way. So there are more questions that people have. We're going to be covering them in future broadcasts. This is part two. And so stay tuned. This is Dr. Jennifer Conson with The Art of Intimate Marriage. Thank you for joining us for The Art of Intimate Marriage. Now, let's be real. This is not a typical radio program, and we know it generates questions. If you have one you'd like Dr. Kanzen to address here on air, email her at jenniferkanzen at yahoo.com. Kanzen is spelled K-O-N-Z-E-N, jenniferkanzen at yahoo.com. We hope today's program was beneficial to you, and if you agree this unique voice should be on the air, your donations will help keep it there. To give or to get more information about the ministry, Dr. Kanzen's Center for Sexuality in San Diego, or to get more resources for improving intimacy in marriage, visit us on the web at theartofintimatemarriage.com. And for more on experiencing the marriage God designed, join us this same time next week for The Art of Intimate Marriage.